0: Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in
1: the 5-0-4. Jackson takes it himself. Welcome to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Merov. Last week's episode started with some breaking news involving a former NFL MVP, and this week's episode starts the exact same way. Patrick Mahomes, the reigning Super Bowl MVP, has agreed to terms on a massive 10 year contract extension with the Kansas City Chiefs and if you include the final two years of his rookie deal, and if you include all the incentives, this extension could reach over a half a billion dollars. Never in my life would I have thought that the highest paid player in all sports would be a football player, because the amount of players on the football roster, the salary cap in football, who would have ever thought that the highest paid player, basketball, baseball, whatever it is, It's going to be a football player. That is just how good Patrick Mahomes is. And for the next 12 years, the best football player in the planet will stay in the same home. The Chiefs will continue to be good. Patrick Mahomes will continue to do Patrick Mahomes kind of things. And money-wise, I think it's safe to say that he is set for life. And it was pretty cool to see... Everyone on social media unanimously agree that Patrick Mahomes deserves every penny of this contract. You know, when Carson Wentz or Jared Goff sign their deals, or whenever Dak Prescott is gonna sign his. There are those who are going to say it's not worth it or he's overpaid or he's injury prone and all that nonsense. There was none of that with this deal. Now, the timing of this deal was kind of interesting to me. I was shocked that it happened now just because we are in a pandemic and there are still questions about the cap and the revenue for future years. But also, the NFL and the television networks will have to work out new deals very soon, the next year or two. Whenever that gets done, the expectation is that the revenue will move up and move up and move up by a lot, which of course means that players will make more money. Which is why some people thought and speculated that Patrick Mahomes will tie a percentage of the salary cap to his deal in case that does happen. But at the end of the day, who cares about that? This is Life-changing money. Patrick Mahomes and his family and his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids are probably all set for life with this money. The Chiefs are happy. Mahomes is happy. Chiefs fans are happy. And well, the AFC West and really the entire AFC, they're going to have to deal with this for the next decade plus. Alright, moving on to this week's episode. We just talked about the Chiefs. The person we are talking to this week just saw the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes beat the team he covers in the Super Bowl. We have Matt Mayoko, who has covered the 49ers for over 25 years. He comes on the podcast this week. He was my guest. We recap this busy offseason, which of course had a lot going on in San Francisco, from DeForest Buckner getting traded to George Kittle's extension talks, Jimmy Garoppolo, what is his future there, Kyle Shanahan's extension, John Lynch, and much, much more. Also talked some memories from over the years with the 49ers. A lot of great stuff with Matt. But before we go to that, A quick word from our exclusive sponsor, BetOnline.ag. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports is slowly making its way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. If you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. And If you're looking for something other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets for you to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, for a free welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Alright, so now here it is, my discussion with Matt Mayoko as we discuss this 49ers team. Plenty of things happened over the last few months from Buckner to Staley to Trent Williams to Kittle and Garoppolo and much, much more. So here it is, my full discussion with Matt Mayoko. All right, joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast, he has covered the 49ers for over 25 years. He is the host of the 49ers Insider Podcast from NBC Sports Bay Area. It is Matt Mayoko. Matt, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm
0: doing well. How's everything there?
1: I'm doing well. You know, here in New York, it's been a tough few months, but we are slowly starting to get better. Still some work to do. But um we are all hoping for a football season so let's talk some football and it's been quite the off season something like never before the 49ers were quite busy After the heartbreaking Super Bowl loss to Kansas City, let's start with the biggest and most surprising move. DeForest Buckner getting traded away to the Colts. Now, I understand the move for both sides, but I feel like the general public doesn't understand how good Buckner is. How big of a loss is it that he's not there anymore as a player and in the locker room? And were you surprised by the move?
0: Yeah. I mean, he he's a really good player and he's one of those guys that, you know, basically when you looked ahead to when his contract was coming up and the importance of keeping him around, it was basically DeForest Buckner and George Kittle. So basically what, what George Kittle is for the offense, that's what DeForest Buckner is for the defense. And, you know, last year, the 49ers had a great season, 13-3. and Uh, You know, they they breezed through the NFC, uh, came within, what, seven minutes of winning the Super Bowl. And on that team, DeForest Buckner was chosen as the Bill Walsh Award winner, which is basically the, the team's MVP. So when you looked at how they're going to have to uh, make some decisions in the offseason. I I did not think that Eric Armstead would be back. I thought that he would be able to go somewhere in free agency and get a a good sum of money and that they would keep or at least do all they could to keep DeForest Buckner. And instead, what happened, of course, was that the 49ers signed Eric Armstead to the long-term contract. They traded Buckner to the Colts for the number 13 overall pick. Uh, Buckner signed a deal with the Colts so when you look at it from this standpoint 49ers decided to keep Eric Armstead get a 13th overall pick and pick up in essence four million dollars in cap space every year for DeForest Buckner Um, when painted in that kind of way I can definitely see why the 49ers did it. And I think it turned out, uh, it, it could not have turned out any better for them because of how everything eventually shook out. With the 49ers getting a guy that they think can be, you know, DeForest Buckner's replacement, a guy who's very stout against the run. Chipon Kenlaw, of course, I'm talking about the defensive tackle from South Carolina, and somebody who has. Uh, some some pretty significant upside as a pass rusher too. So 49ers want to be competitive year in, year out. And ultimately John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and the the organization uh, decided that the best way of doing that was to make that deal. So um, although I certainly uh, questioned it at the time because You want to be able to keep your really good players around, and especially a guy who kind of embodies everything they wanted from a football player like DeForest Buckner. But when you see what they were able to get out of it, I think it was, ended up being a pretty shrewd move by the organization.
1: Right. And you know, as I said before, I don't think the general public knows just how good Buckner is. I think he's right up there with Chris Jones and Fletcher Cox. What was the, I guess, the player's reaction to him not being there anymore? How how big of a deal was he like in the locker room?
0: Oh, a, a big deal. Yeah, he was a, a very uh, re- respected guy, probably about as respected of a player as anyone on the team, maybe the most respected player on that team, Uh, just a very, I mean, just a solid, solid guy, um, hard worker, uh, smart, dedicated and extremely talented. And so he was basically everything that any team would want from a player and it also extremely productive, too, and one of those players that makes everybody around him better. His stats, I think he had 12 sacks in 2018. Mm -hmm. Those numbers fell off in 2019, but you can't convince me that he uh, did not have a major role in enabling somebody like Eric Armstead to have his breakout career year when you look at that roster, you know, when guys found out that the trade went down, and, and I'm talking about even a guy like Eric Armstead, you know, who was a good friend of Buckner, and, you know, they went to college together, University of Oregon. Armstead did not realize that as his agent was negotiating this deal that would keep him with the 49ers for the long term, that it meant that DeForest Buckner would have to go. So I think everybody was you know, kind of hit with this feeling of shock, uh, disappointment, uh, sadness. But there's also been this uh, uh, just immense amount of trust that the players have in the, this 49ers management with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan uh, that, you know, they know what they're doing they're sending Buckner to a place where he's going to in a very good situation and he's being paid very handsomely $21 million a season. Mm-hmm. And so I think people felt like, or you know, his teammates felt like, you know, good for DeForest to end up in that situation. And we don't like it because we liked having him as a teammate, but the organization is trying to do what's best for the For the team as well, and so I think from that standpoint, because there's been that kind of mutual trust built up over the last three years, that the team, uh, the players feel like, okay, you know, it's a business. We all realize that, we understand it, and this puts us in the better position to move on and be competitive on a year-in-year-out basis.
1: Yep, and from the Colts' standpoint of things, everything you hear from them is that they cannot wait to get Buckner on the field. And think about it. For someone like Chris Ballard, who values draft picks very, very highly, for him to give up a first-round pick for Buckner, plus pay him the amount of money he is going to get, that says a lot about Buckner the player and Buckner the person we know. Chris Ballard, one of the main things he looks for in a player is how will he fit in the locker room based off what you just said. It looks like you will fit right in there in Indianapolis. And yeah, yeah, and if
0: I can just interject, you know, the 49ers got that 13th overall pick, and they were able to move back one spot to 14, still get the player they wanted, who was Javon Kinlaw, but then use uh, some of the ammunition they picked up in that trade to then move from 31 to 25 Five. Mm-hmm. and get Brandon Ayuk, who they would have been comfortable picking at 13. So the 49ers, in essence, had uh, two big needs entering this draft, defensive tackle and wide receiver. And that deal uh, for DeForest Buckner enabled them to get both of those spots or fill both of those spots with players that they had ranked very highly on their draft board.
1: Yeah, that was very impressive. And you bring up Brandon Ayuk. I want to talk about... This wide receiver group for a second because Debo Samuel, of course, who was one of Jimmy Garoppolo's favorite targets last year, he suffers a broken foot. He's expected to miss some time. Who will be stepping in for him? Because I look at this team. Of course, as we said, they drafted Ayuk in the first round, but then there's a bunch of other guys. There's a former second round pick in Dante Pettis. There's a former third round pick in Jalen Hurd, who I heard last year was lights out at camp before his injury. There's also Trent Taylor, Kendrick Bourne, Travis Benjamin. They're also on this roster. Who do you think is stepping up for Debo Samuel if he's going to miss time for the regular season?
0: Well, I think it's going to have to be a combination of all those guys. I don't think they can go with the same strategy or the same execution at the wide receiver position that they used last year, which was basically since... After Emmanuel Sanders came over in the midseason trade, it was Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne. and that was it. They mm-hmm. had the three wide receivers that they relied on, and nobody else, really of any significance got on the field. So you know who is going to pick up the slack for Emmanuel Sanders being gone, uh, having signed with the Saints? who's going to pick up the slack for as long as Debo Samuel is out. It's going to have to be all those names you just mentioned. It's going to have to be Ayuk. It's going to have to be born Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd coming back from the injuries. I mean, we could just go on and on and on uh, with the, the guys. Um, you know, Dante Pettis w- was an enigma last season. He played very well down the stretch of his rookie year in 2018. He was the guy that if you and I were talking a year ago today, Mm -hmm. and you asked me who's going to be the number one 49ers outside receiver uh, in the upcoming 2019 season, I would have told you it's going to be Dante Pettis. And he just did not, you know, during this period of time, after uh, the offseason program was over, and then that six-week window, Until training camp, he just stopped uh, working, or at least that was the appearance uh, that he came back to training camp not as strong, not as fit as when he left the team. And he could never get over that hump of getting back into the good graces of the coaching staff, or I should say earning his way back into the good graces of the coaching staff. And week one of the regular season, he barely got on the field. Mm-hmm. And Wes Walker, the wide receivers coach, uh, was approached. I think at some point after that game by Kyle Shanahan and saying, "Hey, let, let's try to get you know Dante Pettis more involved." But Dante Pettis never took it to that next step, and it got to the point where I don't know that he caught a pass uh, after like week ten of the regular season. And when it came time for the Super Bowl, he was one of the inactive exactly. players. So. He he has an opportunity. He he's one of these guys that could either be a starter in 2020, or he could end up being cut. And the guy who's going to make that decision ultimately, really, is Dante Pettis. And we'll we'll see um, how he rises to the occasion. If he rises to the occasion, he took part in many of those workouts where Jimmy Garoppolo got together with the guys at San Jose State. And so we'll see uh, what what he has if he's going to be competing, 49ers got another guy in the late in that draft from Tennessee, Juwan Jennings. Yeah. Yeah. And and he is a very competitive guy, you know, didn't test well as far as the 40 time, but uh, what they've tried to do. And I think, I think Jalen hurt is kind of this way too. These are guys that play the game very hard. Debo Samuels like that. Uh, Brandon Ayuk is, uh, you know, he's, he's got some competition in him too. So, we'll see if that kind of breaks out the best in, in Dante Penis. But, you know, going back to your initial question, who's going to have to pick up the slack with those guys out? It's going to be a, a combination of guys. They're they're each going to have to find their niche to give Kyle Shanahan some options for situational football and who he wants out there. And he's very good about highlighting the strengths of his players. So he, I think he's going to be really tested in that regard until Debo Samuel gets back out there on the field
1: yeah it's gonna be very interesting you know Debo's coming off a year where he had I believe 55 or 57 catches he had over 900 total yards six touchdowns as a rookie assuming this goes into the regular season someone is going to have to step up another thing I wanted to ask you you know earlier this offseason there was some Tom Brady chatter to San Francisco I didn't really buy it at first but John Lynch did admit that there were internal discussions about that. Now, I'm a believer that Garoppolo got some unnecessary criticism last year, but looking at his contract, it's a very movable contract next year. Do you think the 49ers are taking a year-by-year approach with Jimmy?
0: Well, I mean, I think that's kind of the nature of the NFL. I think almost every player in the league is kind of a a year-to-year thing. You know, even even a great player who has a, a down season, I think teams have to evaluate, okay, is that just a down season or is he at a point in his career where uh, we can move on or should move on from this contract? But no, I I think when the 49ers caught wind, um, and I don't know exactly how it was communicated to them, but they were certainly under the impression that Tom Brady wanted to play for the 49ers. Tom Brady grew up and played high school football about I don't know, 15 miles from Levi Stadium. Uh, He was a 49er fan growing up, so 49ers clearly would be seen as a good landing spot for any player, any quarterback in particular. When the 49ers found out that that Tom Brady was open, if not uh, eager of, of the thought of playing for the 49ers, the 49ers did what I think any team would do, and that is they looked into it and you know, kind of took a deep dive into where he is in his career, where Jimmy Garoppolo is, and I don't think it took them very long to come to that conclusion that not, nah, you know, what we're going to stand pat with Garoppolo because he did have a good season. Um, in, in one of the elements of this, you know, when people would ask me, heck, like my boss, you know, at work would say, you know, why haven't the Forty ers said that they're not interested in Tom Brady and Uh, I'm sure I said it and wrote it and and expressed to to people who were asking that question, you know, when those rumors started to fly or those reports started to to fly uh, in some cases speculation uh, that the 49ers could be interested in Tom Brady. Hey, the 49ers did not need to say anything because they could communicate that with Jimmy Garoppolo. They could tell him, Hey, look, Jimmy, you're our guy. Don't worry about anything that's being said or written or talked about. You're our guy. And remember, Jimmy Garoppolo and Tom Brady share the same agent, yep, Don Yee. E. And so there was no reason for the 49ers to, in essence, burn a bridge with Don Yee by yep. going public with, oh, we thought about it, but we're no longer interested. I mean, it's kind of one of those, you know, you scratch my back I scratch your situation so it certainly helped Tom Brady for people to think the 40ers were interested and by uh, association it helped Don Yee and uh, you take it a step further it helped Jimmy Garoppolo
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: to keep that relationship going so the 40ers were very upfront with Garoppolo and just said hey just want to let you know uh, this is where we're at. You're our guy. Don't worry about it. You know we're not going to say anything publicly. But you know when when free agency begins, you have nothing to worry about. We like where we're at, and so uh, that's where they are. And I mean, let's look at a guy that first full year as an NFL starter. He had a really good year last season. I and mean, there was, you know, was it perfect? Of course not. But I mean, you look at some of the the things he did, especially for a guy coming off an ACL. Mm-hmm. Um, And we've seen what some quarterbacks, and specifically Matt Ryan, did in his second full season with Kyle Shanahan as the offensive coordinator. So I I think there's a lot of optimism around the 49ers that as good as Garoppolo was in 2019, he has a chance to be a heck of a lot better in 2020.
1: Yeah, and that's what I mean when I say the criticism last year was unfair. Just put on Jimmy Garoppolo last year against the Saints. Put on Jimmy Garoppolo last year against the Rams. Look how he showed up late and he got his team to win in those games. I thought the criticism he was getting at the end of last year, it was just totally unfair and... When the Tom Brady stuff came out, I didn't really buy it, but the way you say it now, I kind of understand it. Of course, if Tom Brady wants to play for you, the greatest quarterback of all time, you for sure have to go check it out, right?
0: Yeah, and here's the, here's the other part about this. Is it, okay, let's just say that the Four are really ready to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo and he has to have a lights-out season in 2020. Well, well, first off, the four do expect him to play better, but what's their plan B? You know, it the, I, I I would have said at the beginning of free agency that yes he might be on a short leash because they would have an opportunity to get Kirk Cousins right. in 2021, but that's no longer the case. So I just don't know what you know the the plan B would would be. I, w- one thing that's been tossed around here is that well I mean the Packers you know the Packers now have Jordan Love mm-hmm. and so that could be the end of Aaron Rodgers. Well. The end of Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay would only be occurring if Matt LaFleur does not think that Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback to run his system. Well, Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan run the same system. And Kyle Shanahan is a heck of a lot more of a grinder on quarterbacks and more of a stickler for details, I think, than Matt LaFleur is. So are you telling me that Kyle Shanahan would take – the quarterback, you know, the older quarterback that wasn't disciplined enough for Matt LaFleur and try to teach that old dog new tricks. So I, that's one I certainly don't buy either.
1: Yeah, I would agree. The only scenario that I saw that could have possibly happened in a future year would have been the Kirk Cousins scenario with Minnesota. But he got extended. That is no longer a possibility. We know how Shanahan and Kirk Cousins work together in w- Washington. But with the extension now in place in Minnesota, that has no chance of happening. So as you said, there is no real plan B as of now if they were to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. So unless something dramatically changes with Jimmy, I do think he is the guy for future years. I do want to talk about another player on this roster, one of Jimmy Garoppolo's favorite targets. We talked about the wide receivers. Let's talk about his tight end. George Kittle, he is entering the final year of his deal. I know you had his agent, Jack Becta, on your podcast. Considering the circumstances in the world, do you think this is a deal that gets done before the season? If you look at it right now, the highest paid tight end is Hunter Henry on the franchise tag at $10.6 million. I would think that Kittle wants to go way higher than that. How do you see this playing out?
0: I don't know how it gets done, to be honest with you. Because I don't think that, $13.5 is going to cut it. Um, I think that that probably would have been the price that they would have taken uh, during the season. This, This is going to be fascinating to watch because, I mean, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense for George Kittle to step on the practice field again without a new deal. I mean, he is so grossly underpaid right now at, He's going to be making what about two, a little more than two million a year with that player performance escalator that kicks in on the fourth year of his deal. I don't know where this goes, and I don't know how much, you know, hardball they're going to play. There are a lot of players, a lot of agents that would say you're holding out. You far exceeded your your contract. You, You made just a fraction, you know, a tenth of what you should have made over the first three years of that deal, you're not going to put yourself at risk unless that team steps forward and gives you what you deserve. So Jack Beckta and George Kittles can certainly play hardball. The 49ers are in a position where they don't want to give out a big-time contract when there are so many unknowns, especially where the salary cap is going. You know, in the past, when when you, you talk about uh, Hunter Henry, when he signed that deal, well, actually, it's uh, the, the the real the cop would be Austin uh, Hooper yeah. because he signed a multi year deal, um, w- which pays him, I believe, it's ten point five a year. Yeah. Well, that was all happening when no one was thinking about football in the fall and winter without fans and nobody was thinking about the tremendous loss in revenues that would impact the salary cap in twenty twenty one and moving forward. So now the 49ers are looking at this and you know they've every contract they do, they you know they they look at it or they they have their three year plan of you know where the cap is going and how much percentage of the cap we're gonna devote to this player or that player. And so when you think about a deal where potentially let's just you know, throw out a number here, but let's just say that the salary cap, which has risen every single year now, instead of rising, it, it drops by 40 million. Well, that's, that's going to have a huge impact on how they view a contract like George Kittle. And so the NFL and the NFL PA is going to have to figure something out. Maybe, if there is a significant drop in the salary cap in 2021, maybe they, they come to some agreement where the paragraph five of all these contracts is reduced by a similar amount, you know, say, if they, if, I'll just throw this out there, but say that the cap drops 10%, maybe every paragraph five contract in the league is reduced by 10%. But then now you're looking at the guaranteed money part of it, the signing bonus money. And so uh, Jack Beck and George Kittle would want more signing bonus money to reflect mm-hmm. the potential losses of income. So it, there it's it's so complicated, and I can definitely see it on both sides. George Kittle and his agent would be saying, hey, don't hold us responsible. You know, don't penalize us for you know this act of God. And, and the 49ers are saying, hey, we can't put ourselves in a position where we have to cut. of our roster just to fit you on our pay scale for 2021 and 2022. So I just don't know how it's all going to
1: play out. Yep, the uncertainty with the cap, the uncertainty with the revenue makes all of this just so much more complicated. And that's why we haven't seen that many long-term player extensions made so far this offseason. There have only been a handful this offseason because of all the uncertainty with the cap and the revenue. So we'll see what happens with George Kittle. There's still some time left for them to figure this out. But now, somebody who did get an extension this offseason, the 49ers head coach, Kyle Shanahan, a new six-year deal, and usually when teams give out extensions to their coaches, they like to align it with the general manager. Like we saw it with the Rams last year, Les and Sean McVay both got extensions. Both of them were tied together through 2023. Should we expect John Lynch to get one as well at some point?
0: Well, Eventually, but the the issue with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan was that when when Kyle Shanahan took over as head coach, he wasn't, you know, making a whole lot of money. He wasn't in that upper echelon of, of head coaches. And because there's so much turnover in, at the NFL ranks, head coaches, and you know, the guys who stick around get extensions and get significant bumps, it, it had gotten to the point where Kyle Shanahan, whom I think we can probably all agree is a very good head coach and has mm-hmm. done a very good job in, in three seasons. Uh, Zach Taylor was making more than Kyle Shanahan, and so the 49ers and Shanahan got together quite some time ago and decided to, in other words, kind of right or wrong, where they brought his salary up to being more at the level that he should make. So now, depending on how you, uh, which metrics you use, Kyle Shanahan ranks anywhere from the third highest paid coach in the league to the sixth. Like you can't make an argument that he's one or two and you can't make an argument that he's uh, lower than six. So he he's in that group uh, with some of the, the big hitters. So that was something where there was an immediate inequity. They, they give him a contract extension with a significant raise. The, the issue with John Lynch is that he is still very much up there with the highest paid general managers. So there was no reason for him to get an extension because it probably wouldn't have included a significant raise. If if you were to give him a raise at this point, he would be the highest paid general manager in the league. And I don't know that he's done enough at this point to warrant having uh, the, the biggest contract of any general manager in the league. The, the 49ers are also keenly aware that uh, John Schneider, Mickey Loomis, I think some others, I, I'm not sure if Howie Roseman fits in this group or not, but some of these general managers are coming up on their contract years where they are going to be getting raises. And so if uh, Mickey Loomis, John Schneider, get their extensions like we all expect them to get and say the 49ers win the Super Bowl this coming season uh, then the 49ers can wait to see what deals Schneider gets and Loomis gets and then use that as kind of the the new measuring stick so in essence there there was no reason for the 49ers and John Lynch to come together on a new deal because The general manager market has not changed nearly as much as the head coaching market since uh, Shanahan and Lynch came in together uh, in the early months of the 2017 calendar year.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I look at this team, I look at John, I look at Kyle, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, the turnaround they've had since getting there has just been amazing to watch. At what point did you realize that they had this team going in the right direction?
0: Boy, that's a good question. I, I would say, well, the first year, um, you know, that first draft wasn't great at the top part of that draft. Right. And I think you could immediately see that. Uh, Solomon Thomas, although highly rated by all the the draft experts, and ultimately the player the 49ers took at number three, but they would have taken him at number two. You could see that that he he wasn't a first round caliber player, and certainly not a top three type of player. And then I think they were kind they were they were kind of seduced by Ruben Foster. Who's a very, you know, you talk to him one-on-one. He's a, a likable guy. You want to see him do well. But there was just so much baggage with him. And there were a lot of red flags with him. Well, they, they take him in the first round. But then they also get George Kittle. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I was impressed with wasn't necessarily the results It was the way they worked and how they got people to buy in. The the one thing that you could tell with Kyle Shanahan from the beginning was that the offensive players and even the defensive players were really in awe of him and how he sees the game and how he could explain things, how he could in essence kind of predict the future by sitting them down and going through a certain play and saying, Hey, look, if this is the defense they're in, this is how we're going to stress this because this guy's responsibility is over here. And so we're, we're running this because this guy will be wide open, you know, whatever the case may be. I'm mm-hmm. just, that is an example. And then when the game happens and they go back and they watch the film and exactly Exactly how, how Kyle Shanahan would talk about it on mm-hmm. Wednesday and Thursday is how it occurred in games. And he could do the same thing on the defensive side. So there was an immediate buy-in from the players that, wow, this guy is going to make me a better player. And that's all players want. On the John Lynch side, you can tell how he and Kyle worked together very well And it wasn't all, you know, not every swing they took was a home run. You know, there were some pop-ups behind the plate that the catcher caught. You know, there were some (laughs) some foul balls on bunt attempts with two strikes. You know, there were some bad ones. But there were so many good ones. And everything they did to had, you could tell there's a plan behind it. So even though, I mean, the team finished so strong in 2017, after the trade for Garoppolo and then after the injury to Garoppolo in 2018, you know, the team fell on its face, but that enabled them to get Nick Bosa. You know, they went out and they got D4. They've, they, they hit on enough things and there was enough of a plan in place that everybody on the inside could see. uh, And they never wavered. Uh, They, they, through the bad times, they used those times as opportunities to evaluate the team and Hey, this guy's part of the solution. This guy's part of the problem. You know, and, and that's how they made decisions. So um, I, I thought Kyle had a tremendous touch as a head coach, even during the bad times in 2017 and 2018 So, was I surprised by 2019? Absolutely, I was. I thought that they would be a borderline playoff team in 2019. I thought they'd be over 500, but I thought that there was a decent chance that they would miss the playoffs in a division where there's Seattle and there's uh, the Rams. But um, was I surprised uh, that they made it as far as they did? They were as good as they were. I was surprised but also not shocked because I saw how this thing was built and they didn't take any shortcuts. So I think they had a a really good vision that they executed very well to a point even that they were able to withstand some pretty significant injuries last year, that they had built up the depth on the team through those first two years. And now, I mean, I always thought that the 2020 season was going to be the year where, you know, I don't know if peak is the right word, but I thought that this was going to be their their best opportunity to be a championship team. We'll see if it turns out that way. I mean, obviously they had a great opportunity last year, but I think this team is set up uh, to be a winner this year. And like any team in the league that we can talk about, you know, they're going to have to avoid some injuries, some things are going to have to fall into place, but I, I think it's a really good roster heading into this season.
1: Yep, and I saw this morning that um, Ronnie Lott called Kyle Shanahan our version of Bill Walsh. That is some super high praise there for Kyle Shanahan. I want to talk about another player on this team who retired, um, Joe Staley. It was a pretty big move, a franchise cornerstone, was there for 13 years. Just from covering this team, what is your favorite memory from covering Joe all those years? He seems to be a very entertaining guy. Yeah, I mean,
0: I there's so many. I mean, he's a... Uh, one that stands out was the 2011 season and the 49 is the first year under coach Jim Harbaugh and the first couple games of that season, uh, Frank Gore, you know, people were thinking, Oh, Frank Gore, he's done. This was 2011 and yeah. <laughs> Frank Gore's still playing yeah. <laughs> at a high level. Um, uh, But I think uh, the first couple games of that season, you know, Gore had like you know 35 yards rushing. It was averaging you know 2.8 yards a, a carry, and the pass protection wasn't great. And I remember the 49ers did this road trip where they played two two games in the Eastern Time Zone, and so we stayed in Youngstown, Ohio between those games. I remember Joe Staley in a in a Holiday Inn. Uh, where the team was staying, you know, you know, talking to him about, you know, the struggles of the offensive line. I remember him saying, you know, people say we suck. This offensive line does not suck. And it was kind of, it's yeah. like, you know, really, like he was serious, but at that point it was like, well, they, they do kind of suck. <laughs> you know? But from that point on that yeah. offensive line got so much better and it became really the, the strength of that team, if you remember. Uh, it, it was a really good team. And the next year, they ended up going to the Super Bowl. But they ended up being, you know, this ground-based team, play-action pass. Uh, Alex Smith had a good year. But I just remember the, the feeling was like he had confidence in his guys. And, yes, he had heard the people talking about how the offensive line sucks. And he wanted to make a point, we do not suck. And sure enough, I think it was like, you know, basically that next game where things really kicked on in and they started playing some really good football. And that, I remember that just kind of became a theme, you know, throughout the years. Like, Hey Joe, man, you were right. You guys don't <laughs> suck. <laughs> Another thing I remember is it was a game at Candlestick Park and Joe loves his karaoke. Yeah. And, they're, oh, and I'm trying to think, uh, what, what's the name of the band? It's a San Francisco, a train. Uh, yeah. Train was at, you know, some of the, I think they might've been singing the national anthem and it was, you know, when the players come out for their pre pregame warm-ups, you know, they're in shorts a lot of times and they're wearing their, you know, their cleats, but they're not in uniform. They're not in pads, but a lot of guys would just kind of go out and stretch and go through some pass rush uh, sets, pass, pass pro sets. And and I remember I was over on the sideline and the the lead singer of train was there and, And Joe looked over and he said, "Eh!" you know, he yells at the top of his lungs and the stadium is basically empty. And this is a candlestick park. And he yells over to the guys of train and he gets their attention. And he's like in the middle of the field between the hash marks and they're right on the sideline. And he starts belting out the loudest and most convincing, uh, you know, acapella of soul sister, i had ever heard it was echoing through candlestick park uh and so that that i always i remember that because it was just so funny it's just so out of place for a guy who you know in two hours was going to be lining up it was a monday night game he's gonna be lining up for a monday night game and there he is like singing you know by himself at the top of his lungs uh, to the guys who who uh, wrote and, and made that song a hit
1: that's amazing. I mean, as I said, I think Joe is a very entertaining guy. I, I was speaking to Damian Woody on this podcast. I was telling him, like, offensive linemen, you guys get no credit for anything. It's only when you guys hold or whenever you allow a sack. And how does that feel? And he's like, no, don't worry about it. We know that. We have the best personalities in the locker room. I think Joe fits right into that category. I mean, his personality is amazing. Yeah, and, and
0: you know what? And the guys, I think the guys who are in the locker room, the the media members, we – we gravitate toward the offensive linemen because they are generally, you know, they're generally available. You know, they're at their lockers. Um, They're very insightful because they, they know what's going on, you know, in ways that I think maybe players at other positions don't. And so I, you know, they, they've always been kind of, for me, kind of the go-to guys that uh, during the course of a week, they're, they're, just. Good guys to talk to. They're usually very smart. You know, when the 49ers with their system, and I guess it's it's always been this way, and I'm sure it is with every team in the league. Teams put a lot on the plates of the offensive linemen. And so yeah, they want them 325 pounds, they want them six foot six, six foot seven, but they want them athletic too. But more than anything, they need them smart. You know, they need them to be able to, you know, immediately diagnose fronts, um, and 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 kind of adjust on the fly and make adjustments, you know, a split second before the snap, and then another adjustment after the snap. So uh, I know the 49ers have always put a lot on the plates of their offensive linemen and you just can't put any dummy out there and tell them to go block the guy in front of you. So I think that's why offensive linemen are, are kind of fun to talk to because uh, there there's, there's an intellect there that probably exceeds a lot of positions on the football field.
1: Yeah, Joe played all 13 seasons with the 49ers, made six Pro Bowls, 181 starts. And really, what I found incredible about his retirement is that the 49ers knew for a full week that he planned to retire. And in this day and age, for that not to leak, it's quite impressive, no?
0: Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had a sense that he was going to retire, but no, I couldn't pin it down. And he, yeah, he did a very good job of not taking one for the team, but but certainly uh, enabling the Forty ers to carry out the the execution of their plan like they wanted, which was to finalize that trade with Washington for Trent Williams before Joe Staley's you know announcement that he was retiring. Now, uh, there's part of me that says, well, of course, Washington knew that Joe Staley was gonna retire because why would the 49ers have been so gung-ho about getting Trent Williams? You know, they right. weren't gonna they weren't gonna move Trent Williams to right tackle or right guard. They weren't gonna move Joe Staley to right tackle or right guard. I mean they they knew I think ultimately uh you know the 49ers were just being cautious though, just in case this had any impact. Uh, I think they probably also wanted for teams to think that they could take a tackle at number 13 overall. And in, in essence, um, you know, I, I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers ended up trading for that number 13 overall pick. Mm -hmm. And I believe they took Tristan Wirfs there. And that was a player that, you know, when it, when it came up to that point on the Thursday the first day of the draft, (laughs) in in my mind, it was okay. I forget the wide receivers who were still available at that point.
1: CD lamb and Jerry Judy I believe
0: yeah so so the 49ers definitely like CD lamb better than Jerry Judy and so he was an option there um, and Tristan worse was was an option um, now at least on the outside it was internally they were they were pretty confident that they were going to eventually get Trent Williams um, and now it took an extra two days but From what I understand, even at that point, the 49ers were the only team involved in Trent Williams. And uh, they were going to, they felt confident that deal was going to go through because they felt confident that Ron Rivera and Kyle Smith were going to be allowed to make the move, the best move for the Washington team and not be influenced by Daniel Snyder's uh, hatred of Kyle Shanahan.
1: All right, so eventually that deal gets done. Trent Williams moves over from Washington to San Francisco. He's back with Kyle Shanahan. Daniel Snyder did not interrupt the deal. That happens. He did not want to be in Washington. He got traded. There's another player who does not want to be with his current team, and I'm talking about Jamal Adams, the star safety for the New York Jets. He wants to be traded. And one of the teams that he would welcome a trade to is the San Francisco 49ers. Now, here's someone who... As I said, he wants out of New York, but the Jets control him for the next two years and potentially for a third with a franchise tag. I have a hard time seeing the Jets trading him, but could you see the 49ers making a move for him?
0: I don't. um, uh, Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with you that if teams traded every player who wants to be traded, then I mean that kind of sets a a bad precedent, right? Yeah. Um, And so I don't necessarily – I don't see the Jets – trading him, but I also don't see the 49ers being super interested in him because, uh, yes, he, he's on a very good contract for this year, but he's a guy who wants to get paid, and that fifth-year option is going to be $10 million, and he might want up around $15, 16000000 million uh, on his next deal. Well, the 49ers uh, are at a position now where they have enough really good young players who are going to warrant Lucrative second contracts, so you have to make your decisions on which guys you keep, which guys you let walk. I think part of the formula for a team maintaining competitive status year in and year out is you need that influx of young guys, rookies on their first deal. So you've already this offseason given a contract extension to Jimmy Ward, free safety, uh, a versatile safety, not too much unlike. Jamal Adams, uh, you're paying Jimmy Ward $9.5 a, a year. So I just don't – I think the foreigners have made the decision that Jimmy Ward is the safety they're going to pay. And then I just don't think you can have two safeties back there that you pay a lot of money to. And so I, I just don't see him being, I was going to say, a good fit. I mean, he, uh, Jamal Adams is a good fit for any team in the league, right? Mm-hmm. But I just don't think structurally – uh, as far as the contract goes and how that fits into the team. I just don't see how that fits unless you know you dump Jimmy Ward.
1: Right, which is not happening. Yeah. So I, as I said, I have a hard time seeing him get moved. I've seen people link him to San Francisco. I just can't really see it happening. Um, a few more things before we wrap this up. I want to shift over to this. You are on the hall of fame selection committee and I want to talk about a former 49er, Patrick Willis. Last year, in his first year of eligibility, he did not make the final 15, which I was surprised to see. I know he only played eight years. He retired at age 30, but look at what he did during his eight years. Do you think he'll eventually get in at some point?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, it's very difficult for me to predict. And I try, I try not to guess along with what everybody else is thinking. Um, I, I, I kind of do this in a bit of a bubble where I, you know, i I determine in my own mind who I think should be in and i that's the way I approach it every year and in my mind uh i was I was very surprised he did not make the cut to uh the 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 final fifteen. you know he was not one of the finalists. I just don't see a whole lot that separates him and Luke keekley and so i I mean I very similar. Very similar careers, and uh, Keekley I believe, was a was an NFL Defensive Player of the Year.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, Patrick Willis never got that honor, but there were a couple of years where he easily could have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I just don't know what. I, I think now the NFL with, with the length of careers that. I just don't know the criteria that everybody uses. Um, and, and, and frankly, my criteria changes a lot too um, just because of, of where the NFL is now and, and what is to be expected from players, um, the, the level of play, their dominance over a shorter period of time. You have a guy like Tony Basselli who was as good a left tackle as there possibly could have been, but he was only at that level for four or five years because of injuries uh, in a very short career. Um, so, you know, Kenny Easley was a guy who got in as on the seniors ballot. So he had to wait a long time, but he had a very short career, but a dominant career when he played. So I put, I put Patrick Willis and Luke Keekley kind of in that same group, I think, I, think he, I, 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 I honestly can't tell you, I don't even really have an opinion whether I think he's going to get in or not. But I do have an opinion that I think he deserves to be in at some point. Mm-hmm. But it's always, the thing that's really difficult is that only five get in per year. And so you constantly have this churn of, You know, which five guys get in this year? So, you know, do do I think that Patrick Willis should have been in last year? Probably not because of some of the guys who, you know, have been in that queue for a longer period of time. But, you know, every year you have five guys who make it, but then you have anywhere from, you know, typically two to seven guys who are first-time eligible who are now brought into that pool of deserving candidates. So, I mean, is he deserving? I think he is, but is he more deserving than the other guys that we're talking about? And that's all it boils down to is who is he up against on any given year? And will that time come? I I, I really don't know. But um, I, I do think that that he's every bit as deserving as, as Keek Lee, who will be eligible in in five years. And, you know, whenever Bobby Wagner's time comes, you know, is he, is he in that group too? Um, Yeah. It's, it's an interesting topic uh, because of all the variables and, and you just can't look at it as, is he deserving? Sure. But then you have to say, is he deserving? You know, how how do you rank him? Is he deserving as the 12th guy on the list or the fourth guy on the list or the 20th guy on the list who eventually will be bumped up into that group?
1: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. You know, Willis played eight years, was a Pro Bowler seven times, a five-time first-team All-Pro, led the league in tackles twice. And you mentioned how only five guys get in every year. We're looking at Payne Manning and Charles Woodson coming in next year, which will make it even more complicated.
0: Well, and um, how about uh, Calvin Johnson? Ja-
1: Jared Allen as well, yeah.
0: But, but uh, Calvin Johnson is, is kind of along those lines of yeah. a dominant player for a shorter period of time.
1: Yeah, exactly. He retired early as well. I mean, it's just so interesting. I don't really know exactly how the entire process works, but um, it, it's going to be very interesting because I, I I was shocked that he didn't make the final 15. I didn't expect him yeah. to make it on his first year of eligibility, but I was shocked that he didn't make it to the finalist of the final 15. That's what surprised me and why I wanted to ask this question.
0: Yeah. And you know, I would, I would say this, I, I think Bryant young is a very deserving guy and, uh, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I would actually have him uh, rated ahead of Richard Seymour, but I don't know that all voters feel that way. I, I, would, I would guess that they don't because Richard Seymour has been a finalist mm-hmm. more times than Brian Young. and Brian Young has been eligible for quite some period of time, and last year was the first year that he's even made it to the top 15. So I think Bryant Young is the the one guy that I believe should be in, but I think it's, it's, um, it's not a given that he's back in the top 15 next year. And Patrick Willis still has, you know, he still has many years. And I think all everybody, you know, he's still fresh in the minds of the voters, but I, I was, I was surprised that he didn't make the final 15 last year, but yeah, I, I do think that Bryant Young is a guy who was a tremendous player. And, you know, anybody who played against Bryant Young, any coach who went up against the 49ers defense, anytime Bryant Young was on the field, uh, will tell you just how great of a player he is. And, you know, when when I was compiling kind of my my argument for Bryant Young, the last year, the one thing I really focused in on was, teammates are always going to have good things to say about the guys they played with. But what about the guys who went up against these players, you know, guys who don't in essence have a dog in the fight, you know, guys mm-hmm. who don't have personal relationships with uh, the, the, the person who is a candidate and some of the guys uh, that went up against him, you know, offensive guards from the Rams, the Packers, the Bears, you know, some of the teams that the Fortinaires played a lot during those times. Some of those guys were 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 shocked that Bryant Young wasn't already in. You know, guys who don't follow it as closely were like, "Hold it, he's not already in the Hall of Fame." Mm-hmm. So that kind of tells you, um, you know, the, the kind of talent, the kind of player, the kind of competitor, the kind of uh, just classy, professional that he was. But um, th- those are the two guys. Uh, that, that I'm kind of focused in on right now uh, because I, I do think along your lines I, I do think that those are, are very deserving guys uh, when it comes to that conversation
1: yeah Brian Young will be inducted into the 49ers Hall of Fame this year I know he was on your podcast recently as well people could go check that out let's wrap this up here with a quick five I do this with all my guests to come on it is five questions we try to keep it short if you want to expand on anything, feel free to do so. Number one, assuming that we have a training camp, what will be the biggest storyline for this team entering camp? Uh,
0: the biggest storyline in training camp is George Kittle. You know whether he shows up for training camp, what, what his future is. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, that I think that that's, that's a possibility that, that there is something with George Kittle that uh, becomes big news. Once training camp starts, I think if training if if training camp opens and he's there, that's that's pretty big news. And if training camp opens and he's not there, then that's even bigger news.
1: Yeah, George Kittle, that contract you said he's grossly underpaid for being a fifth round pick, right? Fifth round pick he was, yeah. Uh-huh. Fifth round that's pick, yeah. yeah. So he's entering the final year of his DL. He deserves the contract extension, but the circumstances are making it tough, as we spoke about before. Number two. A player on this team who you 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 think does not get the national recognition he deserves.
0: Well, a couple guys I can think of. um, Both there's reasons why they didn't get the or haven't gotten the national recognition. I the the two names I was going to say were Raheem Mostert because you know he's kind of new to the game. You know he was a special teamer who just really dominated uh, late in the season and in the postseason. Uh, so he probably just isn't on the radars of of most people because he doesn't have the the big body of work. And the other guy, I think Jimmy Ward is a really good player. He's a free safety for the Forty ers but his issue has been injuries. Um, and so uh, I, I think he's. I think if he can stay healthy this year, and that's always been the thing with Jimmy Ward, I, I think he has a chance to have a really good season and, and put himself on the radar of uh, the you know, fans of the National Football League.
1: Yep, he settled in on free safety last year, stayed healthy for the most part, and he got paid this offseason, Jimmy Ward. Number three, I know you grew up in Northern California. You've covered this team for a long time. There's been some great moments in the history of this team. It might be tough to dwindle it down to one, but what is your favorite 49ers memory?
0: Oh, that, that I think that's actually easy. <laughs> it oh, would, really? Yeah, yeah, it would be the catch. Okay. Um yeah, yeah, January 10th, 1982. You know, kind of came out of nowhere that season. And uh, before my time, but in the early 70s, they had lost in the playoffs three straight years to the Dallas Cowboys. And the 49ers were always, always bad uh, during the later you know, mid part of the 70s to the late 70s. And then they just came out of nowhere and beat America's team with, with Joe Montana throwing that pass to Dwight Clark. And just everything that Dwight Clark meant to the organization in that time and in the future. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get to know Dwight pretty well, because he was the general manager of the 49ers when I broke into the business mm-hmm. and uh, ended up uh, doing a, a book. Um, yeah. Last year that came out last year on eight, um, seven on uh, August 7th letters to 87, which is something a book that he wanted Uh, to have done because he had heard so many great stories from 49er fans about what they were doing at the time of the catch, what it meant to them. And so after uh, Dwight's passing, um, this this book was published and he asked for the book to be done and wanted the royalties or any proceeds from the book to go to his charity, which is the Golden Heart Fund, which was a uh, charity that, 49ers alumni put together to help other 49ers alumni in times of financial, emotional and physical need. And so uh, that book came out last year It was warmly received and it's raised a a pretty good chunk of money for that charity. So to me, that's, uh, that's a pretty easy one. It's the catch.
1: Simply one of the greatest plays in NFL history, The Catch with Dwight Clark. So we just spoke about your favorite mem- memory involving the 49ers. Who would be, and this is number four, who would be your favorite player to watch, whether it's growing up or covering this team?
0: Favorite player to watch? Well, I don't know that there was a more exciting player than Steve Young. You know, the, the mix of, of running and throwing and I know that sometimes he made the offensive lineman a little bit you know he kind of made them crazy because he was oftentimes not where they thought he would be because he would he would start running but man what what an exciting player to watch and you know to see how Bill Walsh molded him from this guy who was you know at the first hint of trouble he was often running and running like a running back Mm -hmm. um, to a guy who became you know, one of the better pocket passers in the game who still had the ability to run. And I don't know if you recall that run he had against the Minnesota Vikings, uh, which is you know probably the, the highlight real play of his career. But, yeah. you know, as great as Joe Montana was, and Joe Montana was a better quarterback than Steve Young, I think, I think Steve Young was as, as exciting as any player to watch who's ever played the game.
1: Definitely one of the most exciting players to play in NFL history. Last one here, and again, I really appreciate the time, Matt. I asked a similar question to Mike Reese and Adam Schefter, but something I've realized with this podcast is that a lot of my listeners here are young listeners and they want to be involved in sports. What would be one piece of advice you would give them?
0: Well, that there are a lot of opportunities. You know, I, I think that... You know, most kids, a lot of kids, love sports, and and they don't necessarily think of the road uh, to a career in sports of anything other than being a professional athlete. But there are so many opportunities, and uh, I, I think you know, from my standpoint, it's it's reading, it's it's writing, it's you know, applying that to your love of sports and, and finding a way to get in and maybe it's being an athletic trainer or a physical therapist or, um, you know, on the business side, uh, whatever your, if, if you're, if you have a love of sports and you have of an interest in some other field, then you can find a way to get into it and, and kind of realize your dream of tying uh, your passion outside of sports with your passion for sports and in, in find a, a, a career route. So um, I'd say keep an open mind about what else you like, you know, what, what you want to do for a career, because basically in any interest you have, there is something where you can find a way to also bring together your love of sports into a rewarding and, and fulfilling career.
1: Yep, totally, 100%, and that is just more advice for you guys who listen to this podcast, especially the young crew. I know you guys message me a lot. There is more advice for you as well. Matt, I appreciate the time and insight today. Everyone can go check out the 49ers Insider Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, and go give Matt a follow on Twitter. It is at MyYokoNBCS. Matt, thanks for coming on.
0: Hey, Ari, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And uh, just hopefully late July and through August and into September, we can continue to talk about football and what's going on on the field.
1: Alright, so there it is. That was Matt Mayoko. Special thanks to him for coming on the podcast this week. Once again, go check out his podcast, the 49ers Insider Podcast and go check out all the other great work that he does as well with NBC Sports. He is always on point with his stuff, covering the 49ers, just one of the best at what he does. That does it here for this week's My Sports Update Football Podcast. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so other NFL fans just like you can find this podcast whenever they are searching NFL whenever they are searching football on whatever podcast platform they use you doing something that small is a big help for me and it is greatly appreciated I am your host Ari Meirov. I'll be back for another episode next week with another special guest until then so long stay safe and we'll talk again next week